All right. Good afternoon, everybody. Hope everybody's well today on this beautiful Thursday afternoon. Um, thanks for coming to join, join us at Deering Live. Uh, really appreciate it every week, everybody showing up. This is really, really good fun for us. And we love introducing you to all the people that we get to meet and hang out with. And uh, this week is no exception. We are joined by the one and only Graham Sharp. Graham, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Glad Excellent. to be here. Thanks for, thanks for hosting me here. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. For those of you that don't know, even though you should, Graham, of course, is the banjo player for the Grammy Award-winning Steep Canyon Rangers. And today he's going to spend some time with us to talk about and play some banjo and the new Rangers album, Arm in Arm. And of yeah. course, we probably couldn't get through this without talking about a guy named Steve at some point. So we're going to probably bring him into the fold some. I think we should. I think we should. But uh, Graham, in the meantime, thanks again for joining us. Would you mind playing us in for a little bit? Yeah, sure. Let's see. I'm going to play a little Bill Emerson song here. great tune man a guy bill emerson is just stone cold stone cold banjo hero of mine <laughs> just, uh, is that tuned is that a drop c tuning yeah yeah it's a uh, home sweet home drop c right. tuning um, right yeah I, I i gravitate toward that tuning an awful lot um it feels really good for me to especially like if i'm if i'm singing something that feels good to have that just that, that bass, bass right thing. there on that on that low thumb like that, right, right. Or when you're playing, old, you know, by yourself or something. Exactly, yeah. which yeah. is happening more and more these days, <laughs> as of recent. Yeah, yeah. How are you holding up during all the lockdown and everything? Uh, really well. I mean, you know, it's been. Uh, I mean, strangely, it's been a blessing in a lot of ways, or at least trying to keep it framed like that as most of the time as I can. Um, you know, the Steep Canyon Rangers. Uh, I've been working steadily for 20 years now uh kind of solid so you know we never would have taken our foot off the gas or stayed home for six seven months at a time and 
you know, that has its challenges, of course, but um, there's there's an awful lot of lot of benefits to it as well. Um, I feel like when we get back together and do play now, we, we're all kind of coming at it fresh. Right, um, right. And, uh, you know, I've had, and it's given me a lot of time to work on some, some stuff of mine that I've been meaning to do for a while and haven't ever gotten around to. So, uh, I'm, you know, and also I have uh, children who are middle school age, so um, just kind of being able to with yeah. them. A lot of right. time with them. It's been so. It's been it's been really good. You know, I've been trying to just stay stay positive about it and just keep working. Um, yeah, it really helps to have just same things along the way. You know, whether it's like a, a Rangers show or even like a live stream like this or a solo show or just anything to kind of keep some goals ahead of you and keep things to keep working towards. You know, definitely um, makes all the difference. Yeah, because every day can really you'd have that you know every day this experience and you know, have the groundhog day effect where it's just all right we'll get through another day and another day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So having, plenty, having there's, something. There's, there's, there's a few of those as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, why don't you uh, why don't you come tell us all about your you know how you got started playing the banjo? Yeah, so um, I started when I was I guess in college. I started. Um, I was a saxophone player in high school and. Uh, pawned my saxophone and <laughs> went, and, went and bought a, a banjo. Um, but I kind of fallen in love with bluegrass toward the end of high school. I had a uh-huh. teacher, um, this great Latin teacher, who, among other things, was a huge music fan. And he had uh, he had turned turned me on to three different bands. One day he had turned me on to the Professor Longhair and the Velvet Underground and, and Norman Blake. Very good. That's that's, that's a good combination there. It really is. And I, I, you know, fell in love with all of them. Um, Maybe I was very suggestible. I don't know. But (laughs) the only only Norman Blake CD in the whole place was this one. um, You may be familiar. It was like Tell You Live, Tell You Ride, 1977 compilation. So it was like uh, Hot Rise and, um, you know, New Grass Revival, John Hartford, um, Byron Berline, Norman Blake. Doc Watson. Um, so, I mean, and I was a deadhead. Still am. I was, I was a deadhead at the time. So, like, you know, Jerry was a banjo player. So, right, that really yeah. appealed to me. So, I had been, you know, most of my time had been spent playing soccer up till then. I was a soccer player in college. And I had messed my knee up and gone through surgery and was kind of laid up. And, you know, the banjo just... I don't know. It just right. seemed like it just it just kind of fell in, into my uh, fell into my world, and and I couldn't let it go. Cool. Did you did you end up learning some of those old in the way tunes and all that too? Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, that was a big part of our repertoire. You know, I mean, I was lucky because I met the guys who were the the Rangers. We met pretty close to when I started playing the banjo. I mean, within a year of having started playing the banjo, we were playing together. And they were all starting too, so we had like Pete Wernick's Red Book of Songs. <laughs> right. We must have we must have gone through like three of those things. I mean, just <laughs> wore it absolutely out, and it was great because it had like everything from really traditional stuff to you know there were some new grass revival songs and all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff like that in there. So, um, you know, really, really trying to kind of cover cover the gamut of it from the beginning. Right, you're really lucky to have people that we're kind of on the same path as you, right? That, you know, really all lucky. at the same time. So, yeah. 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 I mean, it was really just, I mean, you know, I mean, we had one friend who had played in a band before, you know, and he kind of like, kind of walked Steered us through you. like how it works, you know, he's right. like, we've got these chords, right? We've got to go to all these chords at the same time. 
<laughs> and then it'll really work. Just try it. It's going to be great. <laughs> what were some of those early uh, jam sessions or rehearsals like? Um, I mean, you know, it was it was a lot of times we were playing for like groups of friends or we'd be like a party and people would be around or, you know, a lot of just sitting on porches and stuff like really informal on a Friday afternoon. And, um, you know, so uh, at the time, our, our bass player, was Charles Humphrey, he didn't own a bass. So we had to go to the music school there where his bass he was renting was. Uh-huh. So, you know, in this uh, university music school setting. He'd get out his bass and we'd all go into the stairwell and play in the stairwell, you know, and everybody's studying like jazz and classical and all that stuff. Right. And there's a bluegrass band just <laughs> hammering it out in the stairwells at all hours. And um, but it was great because that led us to a few other musicians who were in the music program but had bluegrass backgrounds um, who could kind of steer us, uh, you know, with a little bit right. more experience um, toward that because none of us um, had really grown up in the music or, or around the music, you know, I mean, from the South. Right. So, I mean, it was kind of around, but it was never really anything that was in my orbit. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And then, uh, so y'all were all going to UNC at the time? We were. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's where the band really came together. Right. Um, and then you must've just hit the road when you, when was the time, when did, how, how much, how long did it take for y'all to kind of start doing gigs and want to start, going on the road a little bit i mean it was you know in that setting it was so easy because you go play a gig and i mean it would be full right because you just you had new people in circles of friends so i mean right, you go yeah. play a gig and you're like oh yeah it's sold out you know we sold 150 <laughs> tickets right. yeah sure and you know i mean i remember having a tape from one of those really early ones and you can hear the guitar player shouting the chords to foggy mountain breakdown to the band as we're going. <laughs> so, I mean, we started playing, we started playing these shows really early and it was very, you know, it was very much an anomaly for like that crowd, you know, so people loved it and it was fun. So, I mean, we got a taste for that really early on. And, um, and from very early on, we, we knew we needed to kind of have our own material. It's just something we've always had always have always been drawn to. So, you know, we were writing songs and, and doing our own stuff really early on. Um, in, in the band. And then by the time we got out of college, about 99, 2000, I was teaching school. Um, guys had some different jobs while a couple others were graduating. Uh, we had Mike Gagino, who was a friend of Woody, our guitar players. And he, they had grown up together in Brevard. So he was finishing school up, up here in the mountains. And, you know, we were trying to make it work the best we could. Um, you know, we had, we had kind of, by then we had, develop some relationships around the bluegrass scene there you know you're in this mm-hmm. little college bubble right in chapel hill but if you go 20 miles outside that bubble the best banjo players the best bluegrass players in the world are hanging out playing right, right. you know you go to these little festivals you go to bass mountain festival or uh, denton or any of these festivals around there and i mean it's it's the best so right. it, it was really striking to me i remember <laughs> I remember, you know, going to see Third Time Out at this little church outside Raleigh. And, um, you know, we'd venture to all these places. They just took us way outside of, you know, the normal college realm. So um, mm-hmm. I remember Charles had a napkin 
And we went up to Russell Moore and asked Russell if he could sign this napkin to Woody. <laughs> and I'm not sure. Woody probably still has this napkin that Russell Moore signed to him, you know, because it was like, yeah, we weren't used to it. Like the people who we listened to on CDs and, and on the radio, like they weren't around. They weren't people you could go say hi to. And all right. of a sudden we were in this music where they were right there. And yeah, that's go, what's so unique them. about the bluegrass scene. Your, your star, your, your, your heroes are very approachable you know very approachable and yeah. like and and really like all the everybody involved with it was you know like we were going out there and we were long-haired college kids go to these festivals and you pull out an instrument and walk into a jam session and if you can play along you right. know or if you're polite and you know just like or, or a decent human being like you stay there and, and play <laughs> music all night long and right. um right. that was just a huge revelation um mm-hmm. For us, I mean, I remember going to see seeing J.D. Crow in the New South at this little roadhouse, Lucama's out in, no, Bubba's out in Lucama, North Carolina, you know, and it was a scene straight out of, uh, like, straight out of, uh, you know, we're the good old boys from the Blues, from the blues Brothers, you know. Right, right. Or at least that's what it felt like to us, and, and here it was. This was the best music in the world right there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could reach out and touch it, and it just, it's just mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you, it's great that you you y'all figured out to that you need your own material from a you know early point. You're one of the main songwriters in the band, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. These. Um, yeah. I mean, on the, I wrote every tune on this last record, or oh, wow. co-wrote on on every one. So um, yeah, it's really that mantle's kind of falling to me, and um, and then it's been a process. Usually, you write on guitar mostly, as what I've seen in past interviews. I do, yeah. I tend to write on the guitar, um, which I don't really. I just never, I just never got into a, a, the groove of writing on the banjo. Um, right. You know, I'll, sometimes I'll write like riffs or feels or something like that on the banjo, and then translate it to guitar. But it's just an, in general, it's an easier instrument to sing along with. Um, right, with the low end on it. Yeah, I mean, especially playing three finger. You know, I think with uh, with call hammer. It's a little different, you know. You've got mm-hmm. more of like a solid rhythmic sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but with the banjo, there's I don't know many people who who write lyric songs on the banjo. There's there's not songs. a lot. There's not, a, not there's instrumentals, few. right? Not a banjo, right? 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 right. But, yeah. And uh, and so what? How does it transfer over sometimes from guitar when it when you do have to get banjo on the? On the it can be a journey, you know. Yeah. Um, it can really be a journey. Um, I uh, you know I don't I don't tend to write straight ahead bluegrass songs I've tried I'm just not it's just not where things right. fall for me um, so you know all the all the stuff from the people who the banjo players that I sat and studied for so long it applies but you've got to tweak it a little bit to generally mm-hmm. make it fit into what has become a Steve Canyon Rangers song not right. all the time you know not not for everything of course but um, on a lot of stuff. It takes, you know, being just kind of being open-minded about the the influences and and uh, just just picking and choosing. You know, maybe maybe there's a way that you've heard JD play a, some blues or something like that, and that mm-hmm. becomes like the the back the backbone to 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 this song, um, or uh, or just even just a a certain role. You know, transitioning out of a a basic forward roll and, and maybe finding a different start point on a forward roll. Um, and you hear a lot of people do it, but some for me, it's just been a, it's a, that's challenging. Yeah. 
Is there anything you can kind of demonstrate at all for people that might have have something, you know, they they wrote something or they're just playing a song and they want to transfer it maybe to banjo? Yeah, I mean... Um, so, I mean, like, on the first... On the first um, song on our new record, um, yeah, it's like, it's just kind of thumping along. It's like, chairs, chairs turned over on their side. Worse for the weather around here tonight. Put on your brave heart, put on your thickest skin. And we, we didn't really know what to do with that for the longest time. But we were just sitting backstage one day, and I was just playing around with this, just a really simple roll, um, which is like a... sing it Woody sings it but you know it just took it just took some real experimenting to get from playing that with just chords on a, on a guitar to to get into where there's a really kind of smooth roll and the roll sort of develops you know it kind of goes from that into something more like So, yeah. you know, that's the, the great thing about playing in a, in a band of guys who is willing to sit down and work on stuff is that, you know, a lot of times if we're playing a bluegrass song, we kind of know how that's going to sound and, 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 and how we should play that and really try to fit it into a certain template. But, you know, when you're coming up with this stuff of your own, you really have to sort of retrofit what you know. And, um, you know, I think that's a lot of bands do it and, and do it different ways but yeah. for me that's one of the most challenging and then also I think you know a, one of the most rewarding parts of it is when it actually clicks and what's the process in the band of when you bring in a new song to when it all everybody kind of gets their parts together yeah I mean generally it's generally it's it's, it's Woody and I so uh-huh. I'll, I'll have a song um, you know lyrics and chords and stuff like that and come in on the guitar and and play it with him. I mean, it, it varies. Sometimes it's whoever happens to be sitting in the back lounge of the bus when I'm back there with the guitar <laughs> messing with it. But we usually, you know, it usually starts off with just one or two people. And you know pretty right. quickly if there's some real, if there's any synergy there with the song. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I think we're all pretty honest about that stuff. And, and you know, we've had songs where I brought it to the band and liked it and then we played it for a little while and then I've ended up you know nixing it you know right. yeah. everybody gets a vote to nix it you know and sometimes <laughs> you have to sometimes you have to take your own song and say no that's not that's, just that's not, not the right that's not the right thing for us right now um yeah. so you know having a, a group of guys it's kind of a collective memory is is huge for our band you know we have a song on the new record that I'd written on guitar and had a melody for it and all the words and we messed around with it a hundred ways you know Woody and I had played it backstage at 160 mm-hmm. beats per minute just flying bluegrass and all this different stuff and it never really found a home and 
we were backstage one day and our drummer, uh, Mike Ashworth, who plays everything, he actually plays banjo on the album. Um, he just started playing, this was a couple years later, just started playing this melody on the guitar. And I don't even know if he remembered what it was, but we heard it and it was just kind of like hearing it again for the mm -hmm. first time. And that kind of took us to where we ended up recording that song on the album. So as a writer to be surrounded by, like I say, kind of a collective memory is really gratifying. Yeah, that makes it really, you know, you don't have to have almost a finished product, you know, and the, right. you know, if you're just ha having hired guns come in, you know, it has to be all ready to go. And But uh, this, it, having the collective memory, what you said is good and uh, getting other people's opinions and other ideas into it. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, they'll hear songs and they'll hear stuff in songs that I never even thought of when we're writing it. And, you know, right. they say, you know, say, oh, hold on. Well, this this melody right here, this this riff that's that's where the song is and that's what we should develop you know i remember when we did um radio when we cut that song um there's just like one progression that i thought thought was just kind of you know just a regular part of the song and we started doing it and nikki our fiddle player was like that's that's the riff you know and mm -hmm. uh, you know the banjo was just like So, I mean, you know, it's that, that again, it's just super gratifying when people hear stuff and, and, yeah. and also are comfortable to try stuff and we're really deliberate about it. You know, if people have an idea, we'll, we'll chase it down and, and, and give it a try. And sometimes mm -hmm. it works and some, sometimes it doesn't, but, um, I think that's part of the, part of the work of being in a, in a real band, you know? Right. Yeah, definitely. So how, um, how, the relationship with we have to ask that uh, Steve Martin ever come about? Um, you know, it was really it was it was very much by chance. Um, he, let's see, his wife's family vacation for a while loves to come up to this this part of the mountains. Uh -huh. I think Woody had maybe taken some of her family fishing at one point. He's a fly fishing <laughs> guy. He's a guide. Yeah, and. Um, I think made the connection that way. And I mean, really circuitous. And, um, I think, you know, and then they got wind that they're, you know, they got this bluegrass band together and right, right. they won this thing called an IBMA award. And this was right about the time when, when Steve was, uh, when Steve was, I guess, releasing the crow or uh -huh. he had recorded the crow, he was releasing it. So, uh, Mike and Woody, I think went up to like a, just a little informal gathering up there at their place one time and played some songs with Steve and, that turned into him guesting at our festival. We have a festival in Brevard every September. What's um, the name of that? Mountain Song Festival. Okay. Yeah. And Mountain Song's wonderful. It's raised like a million dollars for the Boys and Girls Club or something like that over the 13 wow. years of its life. It's a great community event. You know, it's not a big, uh, like, camp out sort of jam right. festival. It's like people come in for the day, um, leave in the evenings. But anyways, Steve was kind enough to come out there and, and guest on a couple songs. And we really, you know, we really learned that record, The Crow, backwards and forwards. Mm -hmm. So when we first got together to play, um, you know, he was just really struck. I don't, I don't know if he'd had the opportunity to play those songs with an actual band. You know, I think a lot of times, you know, the recording process is like uh, you kind of right. get your part and then they kind of bring in parts and, you know, right, record right. it in parts. So I'm not sure if he had ever played 
at least all these songs with the band before. And we love the songs. I mean, they're just brilliant, just great instrumentals and, and some great vocal numbers. So we, we learned that record backwards and forwards. And so when we first got together with them, uh, you know, it felt, it felt really natural when there was just, just a ton of excitement, I think on both sides. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from that, from that moment, I mean, it's probably been 11 years now, something like that. Right. And, um, you know, still, you know, he's still, when he writes a song, he'll send it to us and, and, um, it's still, still a working relationship. We're going to get together again next year. And, nice. um, just, just learning from Steve, just how, um, just what it takes to, to continue to be successful and, and be creative over a long period of time and, right. and, and not get stale has, has been pretty amazing, uh, just to see up close. Yeah, that's pretty. It's just, you're look very lucky, you know, to have very. To be kind of a mentor like that. Yeah, and uh, and then it's also you know, y'all did your homework for that, what for that first gig, you know. So we did. It's we a, did, and I mean, you know, it, it, it put me in a in in a unique position, obviously being the second banjo player. You know, if there's yeah, five banjo, if he has yeah. five banjos on stage, I'm the sixth banjo player. <laughs> um, one of his jokes, not mine. Um, but, uh, you know, it's really neat because there are a lot of times when he'd have a tune and and just being another banjo player could sit there with him while he played it and just kind of map help map the chords out and stuff like that and, and mm-hmm. go through that kind of stuff. So, you know, to be to kind of be that close and to, to sort of his creative process and, um, you know, really, really, I think, broaden my playing also as far as how to... Um, stay out of the way and how to complement the whole thing without, um, you know, often one banjo is, is plenty for a lot of people. So right. um, you have to pick and choose your moments for two banjos and you don't want to do what the guitar's doing. You don't want to do what the mandolin's doing. So I'd find myself gravitating, you know, maybe towards like maybe what a piano rhythm or something like that mm-hmm. would try to do and just sort of outline his melodies like that. Right. And because he's playing, he's you know he's playing claw hammer and he's playing two, three finger. He's mixing it up, right? So is, right. is there a different approach you go when he's playing claw hammer versus when he's playing, you know, when he's playing rolls? Um. Yeah. Well, not not terribly. I mean, you know, I mean, a, a big lesson to me is just is just when not to play. I mean, yeah. you know, I, um, our our drummer came up through through rock and roll bands, or I mean, he's. You know, he's played in old-time string bands and stuff like that as well. But he's, you know, and, and the thing that struck him about bluegrass is, like, everybody's playing all the time. Like, right, right. nobody's, you know, stop. the fiddle player will take their arm off, you know, they'll take the bow off the fiddle. But in, other than that, everybody's kind of playing all the time. So it really taught me how to kind of pick and choose my moments a little bit. And I mm-hmm. try to bring that into, into the, the band show as well. And um, I feel like that's helped my playing and, and general dynamics to, to not feel like I, I have to be going all the time. Do you fully stop playing or you just simplify a lot? I'll stop. Yeah. There's a lot of times I'll just stop. Um, you know, we've got, especially the way the band is now, there's, there's so much stuff to be heard, you know, with, with, with having there's a lot percussion, going on. With, yeah. yeah. With having percussion and all that in there, there's times when it's just better to get out of the way. Right. Um, right. And then I feel like, it you know it gives you a better chance to make some impact when you're being heard. 
Right. It's definitely a musical maturity that, that you're having. You yeah. Know, yeah. You know, when um, you're younger, you, you want to put it all out there all the time. Totally. Totally. Um, and I mean, you know, part of it also is like singing. You know, if I'm singing, I won't be playing. Um, uh-huh. In general, I, I lay pretty low when I'm singing. So, yeah, I, I feel like, um, you know, among the among the challenges of playing the second banjo, there were definitely some a lot of uh a lot of bonuses. I mean, his, his, Steve's melodies are, um, they can be intricate. They can be really beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. so really finding ways to, like I say, accentuate those, those melodies. And then, and then, you know, we do double banjo on a lot of stuff a lot of times and he tends to play out of positions, um, mm-hmm. a lot. Um, so, you know, if he's playing out of a, have a position here I can just really just just move just move positions and right. and find the harmony parts like that um, mm-hmm. so it's you know it's that's been a great process and I miss it we haven't played with him in a while so um, I think March 11th was our last show we were together um, when we got called to, to go home we were with Steve and Martin Short in Dublin Ireland and we had played, we had been at a pub, playing right. after the show, playing with the locals, like playing Irish tunes, and it was wonderful <laughs> and awesome, and then got to the hotel, and stops. that was it. Yep, everybody yep. home. <laughs> so the, the Rangers uh, recording, you know, music is pretty different than what you're doing when you're playing with Steve, too. Um, yeah. Is it kind of a conscious decision that y'all have to do this, or is it kind of no, I think it's really the material, you know, yeah. and Steve has such a, a unique voice, both on right. the banjo and I think with his with his lyrics and, and melodies that, you know, it's 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 natural that, you know, if he's that stuff that he's writing is going to sound like him and is going to really reflect his personality. He puts a ton of his personality, I feel like, into it. And, Definitely. you know, then when we go and do our thing, um, it's really, um, you know, our personality. um Strictly, in that. Mm-hmm. so you no, know, it was never really a, a conscious uh, decision um, on anything, really, as far as our material has been with the Rangers. I think it's always we just try to find the best songs that that resonate with us to to some degree, and and go from there. I was listening a lot to the uh, your latest album, Arm in Arm, uh, today. And, cool, uh, thanks. It that I notice it real. It's very good. It, I mean. It's, it's, and but and just the overall sound of the album is is really like fantastic. Um, yeah. Is there anything different y'all did just on the production uh, side of it that? You, yeah. You do? Yeah, I mean, you know, we've we've recorded lots of different ways, you know, but one thing we tend to always get back to is um, having you know a handful of folks in a room together, um, mm-hmm. and then and get. Uh, some room sounds. So like on this record, uh, the mandolin and uh, the banjo and the bass were all in the same room. And then fiddle, guitar, and percussion were all isolated. Mm -hmm. So um, I think part of it is just, you know, cutting it, cutting it live, you know, I think is, is a big part of the sound. And then having a room, you know, like in that song I played the one drop of rain there's one part where the mandolin comes in 
and it's just kind of a bare mandolin chop and you can just hear the whole room and you can hear the that mandolin like tracing the space of this great big uh, room we were in. We did it at a place called Southern Ground in Nashville, Tennessee. But um, so, you no, know, Zach Brown studio, right? Uh, yeah, Zach Brown studio. Sure yeah. enough. I don't, yeah, yeah, I guess it's not anymore. Um, but <laughs> I was, it was, yeah, yeah. And it was just a really great experience at that yeah. studio. We, we were with the same producer that we worked with for, uh, nobody knows you, not the same producer, sorry, Gary Pachosa produced nobody knows you the same engineer brandon bell his name and uh, he's the house engineer since we worked with him he became the house engineer at southern ground and uh, he co-produced this one with us so you know the previous record um, was called out in the open and we had done that one all in one room everybody just basically Mm -hmm. in a line on microphones and um, you know i feel like there was a lot gained from that but since then we had had a full drum kit that needed some isolation. And so we kind of, kind of hybridized it a little bit on this arm and arm record. Do you feel more comfortable playing? Cause you're, cause you're a live band, you know, yeah. a live acoustic band. Do you, do y'all feel more comfortable recording live as opposed to recording, you know, parts or is, is vastly a sonic thing to vastly more comfortable, um, recording, recording live. Yeah. You know, we're, and then none of, none of us are, you know, studio musicians by any measure. You know, what we do, uh-huh. we go out and, and play and do it live. So, you know, to to try to undo that when you're trying to put down an example of your best work and recreate that mm-hmm. out of something that's, you know, that just feels totally different. It, 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 and we've done it that way and gotten, I think, good results. But I think now, I think we've, we've, we've just come to the consensus that there's maybe some juju at some moment that you wouldn't have caught otherwise right, right. And, and there's moments on this record you know we got to we got a place in one song where the second instrumental part we were kind of like what are, what are we do, gonna do through here and and the engineer brandon said well what if the band just speeds up just do a <laughs> gradual speed up all the way through this thing and just see what happens so we tried it, you know, all together as a band, and we're like, "Oh, that's cool. All right, well, let's let's try that again." And maybe did it two or three more times, and never really felt so good about it. And then Brandon said, "Well, let's go back and listen to that that first one you did, and you know that first version where you cut it like that." And lo and behold, like we had, we had got it the the first try, and and that's something that I feel like if everybody was cutting their parts separately, it would have never you know yeah. couldn't have ever happened. Yeah. Did, did you ever see that movie Sound City? A few years. Oh back? yes, I did see that movie. With is, uh, that the, is that Dave Grohl's? Dave Grohl's movie. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 And and he goes into that a lot. And if anyone has not seen that, it's what when Graham's talking about kind of that you can't capture that live sound on the recording uh, when you're doing it in parts. You know, in the age of like Pro Tools and all these different um, kind of magic tricks you can do to fix stuff, it just it still doesn't quite beat the energy of of throwing everybody into a live room together. And he, you know, he documents, you know, the Fleetwood Max and all yeah. these guys, uh, Tom Petty, uh, all of who recorded there, but did most of it live. Um, mm-hmm. Really fascinating um, to watch. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, you know, our, our producer of the last record, Joe Henry was insistent that we do it all live, no overdubs, mm. you know? So that was yeah. like a 100% purist version right. of that, yeah, you know, right. it was like, 
what you get is what you get. And there's no, you know, we're not going <laughs> to him and haul about this at all. Right. Um, so, you know, and, and, and like I said, for the benefits that had, you know, we worked on a little hybrid version of that this time around. So, um, we had some separation, um, between us all. So if there were any gremlins in there, we could, you know, and, uh, you know, if we liked all the rest of it, but there was just one little weird thing, we could go back and, and do a little touch up on it. But, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really, I really was struck by how much listening was done. I think not. I, I noticed it with myself, but I think with everybody, like really intently listening while you're while you're playing, and not even really focusing on yourself so much. But I found myself a lot of times just cranking up the mandolin and really focusing really hard on what what the mandolin was doing, or you know, right. pick any other instrument during a song and really. Um, try to find something kind of outside of yourself to lock into and, and, and glue the whole thing together like that. Right. And then I, I noticed the, do y'all, how do y'all mix your records? Is it a group thing or is it, do you kind of send it off to let somebody else do it? And then you kind of say, you know, say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, this was the first one we had produced ourselves. So in the past, you know, a big part of the producer's job is to, is to do the mix. Yeah. And, you know, there's some collaboration on that, you know, produce it and, or mix it and then send it around and maybe get some notes and some suggestions. And we did a bit of that for this one. And then it wasn't just didn't quite jump uh, the way we wanted. And we went around and around on what we were going to do for the mix and ended up just kind of starting from scratch and redoing the soundstage um, pretty severely and and uh, went back and just went in with Brandon it's mostly Brandon and myself we just go back and forth uh, you know song by song moment by moment and uh, you know once we got the basic soundstage reset to how it was mm -hmm. the, the template then you can build the rest of the album off that but um, it was a really <clears throat> it was a really touchy bit of you know we really liked <laughs> we, we thought we liked what we had put down but somehow it yeah. wasn't translating and right. um, it's hard to overestimate just or it's hard to underestimate just what a mix um, can do for a record. Totally. And the banjo a lot of the time was panned, I noticed, panned like hard right, like for most of the time. And it sounds, I mean, because there's a, a lot of the tracks have a lot of stuff, different instruments going on. Yeah. Too. So yeah. What was the thinking there? Um, well, I mean, I think in general it was to put the put the uh the vocals front and center you know mm -hmm. and like the center of the rhythm which we really think about as like guitar and yeah. bass pretty much in the middle um and then there's some stuff you know there's some places where the banjo will move around you know it'll yeah. go from here to here and then snap back <laughs> right, over right. here so you know there's some there's some there's some neat <laughs> games that you can play and you can you can get carried away with it a little bit but, <laughs> right it turns into know, a psychedelic album all yeah, of a sudden <laughs> yeah it really gets the, 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 there's nothing that gets more psychedelic than the banjo given a chance but um <laughs> but uh you know we tried to be uh judicious about it but you know i think having the ability of being in a studio and and uh you know having some of those things at your disposal right um you know, we messed around with a lot of it and right. ended up peeling probably ninety percent of it back. <laughs> but but some of it just just seems to work, and I think at least for me, it really catches my ear when I'm listening to it. Yeah, your break on Afterglow uh, is really good. Uh, yeah, that one goes that one goes some places. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> definitely like you know it's it's you know it's acoustic. There's some electric instruments, but you know it's really 
like a, a rock tune almost in the it way that yeah <laughs> it's definitely a rock it was definitely a rock tune um <laughs> but uh yeah i mean yeah i think that's the longest solo i've ever had on a steve cannon rangers album was this afterglow solo and yeah I mean, it probably goes on for a minute or something like that i mean it's it's long and uh I think that was the first take. I think that solo was was the first take. You know, same thing. You try to go back and and recreate it and redo it, and and uh, a lot of times, you know, your first first go at it's your best thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's that tunes an E. So tunes how are you? E, yeah. It? So um, you know, it's just a just a capo two, um, you know, with my fifth string. I'm thinking here. D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know a lot of like a, a D7 and um, kind of a scale leaving out the um, leaving out the six and leaving out the two. And so it's kind of a scale. Uh, thinking d d7 kind of throughout right, that song yeah. um and then you know i just kind of um you know the, the solo section is really built around just a um a roll you know starting starting on that first string Yeah, for me, we, we, we have a couple songs on the um, on there. Another one called Sunny Days. It's a, another fast one uh-huh. um, that, I, that I use that same tuning. Um, you know, and it's just, a, it's just a really comfortable place for me to play. You know, a lot of times if I'm playing fiddle tunes in D rather than capo up and play them in C, I'll play them out of D a lot. Right. Um, that, yeah, I just like having... Like having those open strings, I lean on the open strings a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So, and if you're playing it, I don't know if you've had a chance to play this tune live. If it's a new new song or not, but uh, a little bit, yeah. Do was that that section? Is it kind of worked out, or is or is it a big improv section? It's an improv, and I kind of know how I'm going to get maybe from one place in the neck for another. but yeah, it's it's pretty much improvised, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know at some point I'm probably going to end up just kind of doing this. Um, 
it's here or here. Um, so yeah, there's, you're off you the know, neck there. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah. You're just hitting two strings. It was like a that the. Yeah, that's just that was just these two. You know these. Um, so yeah, there's there's my E position. Uh -huh. Just these two strings. You know. Or sometimes I'll use three um, if here's like a kind of an E7. Um, depending, you know, just kind of depending. Um, and then, you know, doubling up. You know, and then I'll always, you know, kind of end up somewhere around somewhere around that roll. Um, mm -hmm. Use a lot of like descending. Right, right. Um, a, lot, a lot of those and you know, that's... So yeah, I, I use I use that stuff not as much ascending, but a lot of those descending sort of rolls in there. How did I'm you start good. to work out some of those melodic licks? When how long ago did you? Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it, you know, I always tend I always tend towards um, kind of patterns, you know. So um, you know, a lot of a lot of times, if I'm and we've had various songs where I'll I'll be improvising with the band, you know. So say if I'm in like an A chord and go between that and like a B minor, you know, I'll, I'll almost like a devil's dream sort of thing, you know, mm -hmm. and then, and then just sort of uh, build on that. I mean, those 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 sort of patterns come real. They they just seem to come really natural to me. I'm not sure. Um, I know there's 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 plenty of players out there who use them, but uh, you know, from from the beginning, I was I, I liked I liked melodic players, and I'm, I don't do a lot of fiddle tunes. You know, like with the band, we're just not like a fiddle tuny sort of band. We don't. Right, right. Like we do a few instrumentals that you know we've written within the band, but um, there's not a lot of you know not a lot of traditional stuff. So I don't really have all the you know all the um, like you know I can do like some kind of. A little bit of it, but I don't have a lot of the the fiddle tune chops. So a lot of my stuff tends to come out of out of patterns, um, and uh, you know finding finding ways to connect connect the chords. And I love you know my favorite thing about the banjo is you've got so much open string material that you can. There's a lot of places those chords overlap and make those subtle changes. You know, like like that thing I was doing for the that once on the uh, one drop of rain. Yeah, I really like I like I like I like piano. I'm a big fan of piano music, and that feels like a kind of piano sort of like a right hand of a piano. Kind yeah, of. yeah, yeah. It feels kind of like that to me. Yeah, 
A question is, if you don't mind, I got a question from a customer actually, yeah. one of our audience members. It kind of ties in. Now, uh, the, the customer makes reference to a video that you did with Jens Kruger. Okay. Um, and so I, wanted, I couldn't find it. So no, I, I'm not entirely sure which video it was. He's, he's talking about our videos that we send out, our, lot, our beginner. Oh, I see. With got Jens, it. Okay. That we sent out this last week. Got so, it. so Jens, the, Jens was talking about combining uh, licks. There's licks and there's melody. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he was talking about, you know, kind of combining those two. And so the, the, the customer is wondering if you had any, you know, any advice on, you know, how to kind of combine melodies and, and licks. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, when I think of, you know, finding melodies on the banjo, I mean, like first, you th I mean, I always come back to like, especially bluegrass, the rolls, you know, and that being kind of the backbone of it. So whether you're starting on your thumb um, or, so, or somewhere else is kind of the um, where it starts for me. And then, you know, once you once you have kind of vaguely mapped out the melody, um, you know, then the then within a roll, the kind of the possibilities become myriad. But um, I think, yeah, I think really is learning the melody most clearly, even without playing any roles, is kind of the best way that, that, that I know to do it. And then just kind of as you work through it, find which of your favorite licks, you know, sit with sit within that melody or which right. ones can kind of riff on on the melody. Yeah, a lot of the time, I think banjo players have a trouble picking out just the basic melody because they've learned maybe a song with tab. So they don't really know what the melody is versus the role. Yeah. So learning what that, you know, just use your thumb as like a flat pick and just. Like, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I end up, I end up doing that a lot, you know, just, just mm -hmm. really sim trying to really simply map out the melody and, you know, whether you want it to be, you know, if it's. If the melody's here or you can find it there. Um, so just the question of, you know, what, what finger you're leading with, whether you're leading this backward roll or, or with a forward roll or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, and did you learn with, from tab or by ear or? All of the above. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I learned, um, I had a teacher, a fellow named Joe Snipes for maybe about a year or so when I was in college who just was, you know, just stuff's coming at stuff's just coming at you so fast on the banjo that you need to really somebody who can slow it down for right, you right. and say this is what's <laughs> happening yeah yeah so uh so yeah tabs by ear um all the above um you know hanging out watching other banjo players um right. you know a lot of a lot of a lot of listening um i think even still I, I, the listening is is one of the biggest teaching tools for me um, listening and then, you know, maybe trying to play along with it, that kind of thing. And just really get into somebody else's, get into somebody else's groove. You know, I mean, you mm -hmm. listen to, you listen to a banjo player, like say like a Rob McCurry or something like that. And mm -hmm. like, you know, maybe it doesn't sound like what he's doing is the most, um, uh, intricate, but when you get into it and try to feel that groove, like he does, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, that's just a, a universe into itself. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's not necessarily flashy, but he has, you know, incredible groove. 
And his melody is right there. I mean, such okay. a great example of a, of, a, of a player who plays the melody um, in really interesting ways. Um, he's, yeah, I love his playing. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's great. Going back to re- recording a little bit, do you have a specific mic setup that you like to use for banjo? No, um, not in particular, you know, I mean, I, you know, I guess our fallback is just a couple of those KM184s, the Neumanns, uh-huh. um, you know, uh, generally kind of one down here, mm-hmm. uh, this, you know, I think this is for most banjos, banjo players, the sweet spots somewhere down here with the microphone. About and how then, far away is the microphone? Um, generally about six to eight inches. Okay. Pretty close. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then another one, you know, right up in, in here, you know, maybe a bit farther away, maybe, maybe a foot or 16 inches away. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really actually a, a miserable gearhead. I'm, I'm (laughs) a total, I'm total Luddite at at that. Um, So I, I lean on others heavily for, for that kind of stuff. What do you use when you're playing live? When I'm playing live, uh, we have a, basically, um, I'm playing through this uh, uh, Rare Earth, this Fisherman Rare Earth okay. um, that I have on here. Um, I was lucky enough to go visit with Jens Kruger a couple months ago, and I'd always, you know, Fishman recommends you put it in front of the, the bridge, mm-hmm. but, you know, and sitting and talking to him, he's like, well, you know, Bale Fleck puts his right under the bridge, and... No, Kelmy puts his under the bridge. (laughs) I put mine under the bridge. (laughs) I was like, all right, I'm putting mine under the bridge. Sold. (laughs) Yeah, sold. Sold. Enough said. Um, So, so yeah, I use that, and then it's a a wireless system from there. Right. So I really, you know, on stage, you know, the the only control I have over it is uh, is with my right hand. So that's that's you don't been have a, a mic huge... in front of it too. No. Oh no. wow! You're just so, going using the pickup, right? So I mean, that's a huge learning curve for me going to like being on a band, either having a fifty-seven sitting in front of you, where if you want to hammer a lick, you just put the banjo on that mic. Um, yeah, because that's or, tough because there's no volume control, so it's oh like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I really had to kind of retune my right hand when we mm-hmm. made that. We made that, and and basically what that meant was taking my my floor down, you know, my low volume lower because right. you, your, your high volume is not going to get, it doesn't it pay off to, to play louder. Right. So you really had to focus on getting your, getting the touch lighter um, for your low volume and, and moving around, you know, moving around um, on the head uh, mm-hmm. between your positions um, a bit more than maybe I had paid enough attention to in the past. So that, uh, that 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 that's you know the main main challenges and when we talk about you know playing not playing at all and, and stopping I mean that's part of the reason is because I I can't ever get away I'm never away from from the microphone right um, right and, and the sound so you don't have a volume pedal or something that you're using to no help control no. anything right? no none of that so <laughs> yeah yeah that's tough I mean, <laughs> I'm surprised you all get such a acoustic sound using just the pickup yeah yeah Yeah. i mean it's definitely been it's always a a work in progress but um you know it really takes everybody playing down you know it requires everybody to take their their volume down so when you get to those places where the energy's up 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 Mm -hmm. then 
then you still have somewhere to go. Right. Right. And if one person, and if one person starts <laughs> going, like everybody has to go. So it's really a, it's really a team effort as far as definitely. that goes. That's, that's definitely a th- playing in bands. That's definitely a hard thing to get across with everybody. Especially right? when, you know, somebody has more volume, you know, they have a huge dynamic range and yeah. you really don't. Right, right. Which used to be me, right, as a yeah. banjo player. It used Acoustically, to be me. And then, right. Then we, right. And then we got a drummer and it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's got me. <laughs> well, Jamie, do we have any, any questions coming in on the chat? Yeah, I've got a couple here. Um, first of all, and I think we got a, we got a kind of glimpse into it uh, before we came on here. But uh, Hess writes, "What is your warm up routine before gigs?" Um, you know, it's really it's generally pretty simple. Um, I just I'll just start with just basic. It's just basically rolls. You know, just like um, and depending on how I feel, I'm feeling, I'll start really slowly. Um, to play roles really slowly you know it's 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 uh and you know i feel like that really makes me stop and just sort of get to the basics of it and, and if that's feeling good then you know a lot of times when we're backstage with the band we'll be we'll jam you know for 20 minutes just play jimmy martin tunes or something like that um yeah. so but uh but really a lot of it is is um just playing really simple simple patterns um moving them around you know up the neck That kind of thing um, is uh, is generally generally what I'll do. And sometimes if I, if I'm feeling like um, I really need it, I'll I'll put on a metronome and and, mm-hmm. and, and warm up with a metronome. Um, I really enjoy playing with a metronome. Like um, it, it's 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 actually kind of freeing a little mm-hmm. bit to, to play with a metronome when you're practicing. Um, so um i'll do that there's definitely times when i'll even take a you know a a rag or something and stick it in the strings and just dead the strings and just let's get the hand going and just and just you know without any of those tones you're really hearing your rhythm of the attack um on on the strings and it always it it never fails when you take it off you're like oh my gosh this is like I've, i've never played so um effortlessly it's probably a really good practice because we always get asked about, you know, help me get better. I'm a, I'm a beginner player, you know. Um, that's probably a really good practice technique to do at home as well. It's kind of one of those in front of the TV, totally. lounging type things. Would you agree? Yeah, I would. I would totally agree. And I mean, you know, it depends on how patient the people you live with are. But, um, you know, it's pretty it's pretty quiet. You can turn up the TV, you know, and, and have that. But um but I mean, it just, it's, it's all, but it's always, you know, for me, it's always the right hand, you know, my, at least mm-hmm. as far as my playing goes, like, um, almost, you know, I'd say 75% of it is based on, you know, is really rooted in the right hand and maybe a hundred percent. Um, I remember going to see Earl years and years ago and I mean, he must've played a third of the show with his left hand on his hip. You know? <laughs> really? just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's great. I mean, it's like, what else do you want? You know. So, um, yeah. Typically, my typically my warm up is really yeah right hand focused. Yeah, I saw there was an ad the other day. I saw for um, 
uh, it was a metronome system, but instead of like the click, it was uh, it's like a, a strap with a vibrating yeah. pad. Have you seen those? Whoa, those are kind of cool. And apparently, wow. like, they're they're really good for drummers or just a silent like gets away from that annoying. Yeah, interesting. And it just kind of buzzes you the rhythm. It's interesting. Like sets your internal rhythms. Does yeah. it come with a shot collar when you get off? Right. Should right? <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe like spouses or banjo players can zap you like when they've had enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about finger that? picks? Sorry, I've got oh, one more, one more question from the from the crowd here. Um, thoughts on finger picks? Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. So um, I'm using I'm using these uh, Warren Yates Yates banjo. Mm-hmm. Um, he makes these double O's. I use those. Really like them. Um, I think, you know, they're based on the kind of the old national style. Um, and, you know, I I don't bend them entirely over my fingers, but, you know, that's... Yeah, it's pretty, pretty it's, a lot. Though. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty well laid back in there. And then, yeah, one of these blue chip thumb picks, this one's the, uh, it's the JD, JD Crow model, blue yeah. chip. And um, it's amazing how, how ubiquitous these have become. Yeah. Um, but uh, I just love it. They don't, you know, that takes forever to wear through them. Um, I've broken one in, you know, maybe 10 years um, of playing, you know. You used to see, like, banjo players, you know, especially guys who played really hard, you know, they'd have thumb picks lined up along the top of their banjo because they were just, <laughs> just shearing them off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, this is not, this has not been subject to any of that. So, yeah. Yeah, those old. So I used to play, and they I used to I used to have like a whole notch like cut in, like it wear away. And oh yeah, I'd still play with it, but it'd be yeah, right. totally worn away. <laughs> oh yeah, they'd be like totally scalloped out, and, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, no, and then the, the thing these do they 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 wear, they do wear. It takes a while, but they also wear evenly, so right. they don't they don't scoop out like that. They just kind of somehow wear across the strings like that. Yeah. Um, Along the lines of the warm up, what do you have any tricks? Because you're playing outdoor festivals a lot, and yeah. tricks when it's uh, cold, and that right hand isn't functioning as well as it should. I mean, I think it's basically the 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 thing that I always try to get back to on stage was just just relax. You know, right. the 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 more I'm not gonna say the more focused you get on it, but the more. Um, it's hard, you know, because it's easy mm-hmm. to fall into the trap of not being relaxed. But you know, the more uh, you end up pushing, you know, the the, the less you're going to respond to it. So it's hard. It's hard in the cold. But I mean, you really. Um, it's, it's hard to say. Do you say? Can you say you focus on relaxing? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, you just, <laughs> you know, I mean, one thing is just to breathe. You know, yeah. a lot of times if I'm playing, I just find I'm holding my breath. Right. And when I take a couple good breaths, you know, just Bloods. just just that enough to to get the fingers working. Mm-hmm. You don't put like heaters in your pockets, little hand warmers in your pockets, or anything. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've done that occasionally. I don't know. I find those don't do an awful lot. You know, we played yeah. festivals where they have enormous heaters like blowing at you, but then you're warm, but you're out of tune the whole time. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a that's 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 a hard one, you know. And then sometimes you just got to ask the band, you know, like, I know we play this song at one sixty. Can Slow we just down. play one fifty today? Right, it's not gonna work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm better. So, uh, here, tell us about the banjo you're playing. Yeah. So this is a uh, it's Terry Balkum uh, model Deering. 
So this is the walnut. Uh, it's got the got the tall um, 11 16th smile, you know, kind of the scoop uh-huh. smile bridge on it. Um, and uh, I just switched to some heavier strings, which seems to help. Uh, seems to help to pick up a little bit and um, kind of for what the band does, it, it seems mm-hmm. to suit it a little bit. It just it gives stuff a little more sustain than maybe uh, than maybe the, the, the thinner gauge. What are the gauges that you're playing now? Um, let's see. This would or be... the first one at least. Yeah, I think, I think this one is an 11 now. I think it's right. like 11, 12, 13... And then twenty something, yeah, twenty something. Uh, <laughs> right. and, and then I think another eleven on top, and it's taken some getting used to. And I'm I'm not totally sold on it, but um, has it like darkened it up the well. banjo? Somehow it has. It has, yeah. And I and I like that, you know. Yeah. Um, You're still getting general. the pop out of it that you need, though. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, honestly, like for our band, there's just. There's more times that I, that, I, that I'd rather have a little bit of a, a thump um, than a pop, if that makes if that yeah. makes sense. Um, so I feel like that it suits it pretty well. And the heads, you know, heads fairly loose. I think it's about a G flat F sharp. Right. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's it's not the head's not ratcheted down right. um, like a lot of bluegrass right. um, players would play it. Right. So, is there something yeah. about the walnut that you like? Or? You know, it's the first walnut banjo I've ever owned, and the only walnut banjo I own. So, right. I couldn't say for you know walnut across the board. But right. uh, I really love the band. I mean, it's just the clarity of it is is really impressive. Um, you know, it's 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 got some some wider. It's got a wider string spacing. Uh, this banjo does so. You have a really nice, one of those really nice uh, McKinney capos, you know, uh, yeah. the, the clip on there, you know, the silver, beautiful, but it doesn't fit on this one. It's got a wider neck. Oh, um, okay, yeah. So, yeah, I got to use this little thing. You use the Kaiser. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just use this. I just use these little Diodario things. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can my lose problem, my, yeah, you can lose them. <laughs> exactly. Like, I, I lose capos so, so often. So, um but they, they seem to do the trick and I have another you know I kind of go back and forth between this and an old uh, Granada like a 28 um, tube and play Granada and mm-hmm. so this you know that has standard spacing on it so it always takes a little bit back and it's just one right. of those things like when I'm playing I've been playing that one for six months and I come back to this one I fall in love with this one and then six yeah. months later it'll, it'll go the other way um, yeah. so uh, but uh, in general I don't know. I, I played. I played an awful lot of banjos, and this one really speaks to me. Cool, very cool. You've also been. You mentioned it before we started. Uh, in the when we were talking before we started recording, uh, you're doing a solo album during during this yeah. time of uh, yeah lockdown and everything. Do you want to talk yeah. about that at all? Yeah, well, I, I, it's something I meant to do for a long time, and um, you know, never never had the chance. Never really had a a very big desire to do it and the time came about and I'd wrote I'd written a, a lot of new songs since you know since March since we came home um, it was just writing and writing and writing I had a ton of songs and mm-hmm. the Rangers 
you know, we've had three albums come out in the last 14 months or so. So, you know, I held a handful of songs back that I thought would be right for the band, but a lot of them didn't seem like they were going to fit necessarily into what the Rangers were doing. So, um, yeah, just went ahead and made made an album and who knows you know about release and how it'll be released if right. you know it, it will be released in, in some form but uh yeah <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know but it, you know it's 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 a lot of songs that you know and all, all that they're all they're all kind of your babies you know but there's a couple yeah. of them that have kind of been around for for a long time that the band's kind of circled around for a little bit and never got around to that i really wanted to record and then the rest of them are pretty pretty recent songs that uh kind of reflected sort of where where I've been the last uh, eight months or six months or whatever it is. And did you have other musicians come in on it, or is it a true, like, just you and a microphone? No, it's 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 actually, um, yeah, it, 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 there's only one song that's that, that has banjo on it, and uh-huh. it's uh, mostly me and a guitar, and then the fellow that I made it with named Seth Kaufman, he put down drums, bass, guitars keys um wow. all sorts of all. then yeah then had a pedal steel player come in and lay some stuff on top of it and right. um uh, yeah I'm, I'm you know like i say i don't know what will ever come of it but i'm i'm thrilled with it you know I, i'm really happy with it so um, that's, that's all it's I, that's good. all i was asking yeah you get the creative thing flowing still you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um actually recorded one song for it that on the banjo is a kind of a solo banjo thing and ended up recording it in my closet <laughs> and, it, and it and it actually works he, he took it and kind of ran it through his you know he's got all these old vintage processors and stuff and uh-huh. ran it through his, his stuff and it, it, it sounds really great would you care to play that t- tune for us sure i can give it a shot here let's see You get back. I've got uh, the, the chats come alive, so I've got a bunch of questions. Uh oh. So <laughs> after, after you're done. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I wrote this kind of, um, you know, when New York City was on that full lockdown, mm-hmm. um, full quarantine up there. And so I kind of wrote it with some friends up in New York in mind. It's called Coming Back to Life. refrigerator door I can hear his stomach rumbling through his ceiling through my floor sounds just like a two by four he's cutting with a steak knife it's a noisy messy business this coming back to life and I'm sitting in my kitchen hoping for something new it's just myself I'm kidding most anything would do I blow imaginary smoke rings with my imaginary pipe Keep my mind on a sweet thing, keep coming back to life. Big crow by my window's got breakfast in his beak. An old man once told me he could teach a crow to speak. He spends his hours on the park bench. Now since he lost his wife, feeding saltines to the pigeons, keeps coming back to life. 
And I'm sitting in my pajamas Hoping for something new It's just myself, I'm kidding Most anything would do I blow imaginary smoke rings With my imaginary pipe Keep my mind on a sweet thing Keep coming back to life sleep I kept a picture in my head that kept me light upon my feet the reaper right behind me twirling his scythe cursing this old world that keeps coming back to life and I'm sitting in my kitchen hoping for something new it's just myself I'm kidding most anything would do I blow imaginary smoke rings with my imaginary pipe Keep my mind on a sweet thing, keep coming back to life. Put my mind on a sweet thing, keep coming back to life. Wow, very nice. That's great. Thanks, thanks. Very, very John Hartford esque, almost. Yeah, right. That that drop C and and all <laughs> that. But uh, yeah, he's a obviously a huge influence. I think if you're a songwriter banjo player i mean there's you know you yeah. gotta look to gotta look to hartford for so much so much wonderful stuff definitely so jamie what you have stuff on the chat uh, a few people are agreeing that it's very hartford-esque so uh, yeah definitely <laughs> definitely uh, like that one so there's a few here um let's go back a little bit any uh any thoughts on reducing and I'm going to kind of fire these out. They're not necessarily cool. related or in any kind of order, but um, any thoughts on reducing or eliminating pick noise? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, for me, there's there's a lot of benefits, and it's hard. You know, I've I've, I've it's something that I've fought with and, and tried to train myself for a long time. But keeping uh, keeping your fingers as close to the strings, you know, eliminating all that extra movement. Mm-hmm. So trying to trying to keep, you know, my right hand, those three fingers as close to the strings as possible. Um, and then, you know, I think I think there's there's something to, you know, not try not striking the edge of your pick too much. You know, really trying to to get a good, uh, clean um, kind of angle with your pick. Um, I'm not the I'm not the best at that, but I've, I have altered my kind of my wrist position and stuff like that over the years to both yeah. both keep my try to keep my fingers <clears throat> closer to the to the strings at all times and sort of straighten out that that angle could you tilt your camera just to, just a touch yeah just so people can see what you're referring to there yeah there we go yeah so you know i mean you know people i never got to see him play i haven't yet hopefully I would, but alan you know they say alan Monday play you know like one, two, three fingers, like right on, right in line with each other. So there's always uh, equidistant from the bridge, which I think you can probably say maybe that's the ideal. You know, I tend to my, my thumb, you know, goes goes up the head, up the strings a good bit, but just that motion does allow me to um, hit those strings at a, at a straight up and not 
not glance off the side of the pick like that. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, we did a thing with Jens uh, Kruger a while back, and he talks about yeah. that quite a lot, rotating the pick slightly so yeah. the, the, the paddle, the surface is hitting the string as opposed to the to the side yes. edge, like you say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I do that as well, just, you know, not not drastically, but they do angle off the, the, uh, the side of my yeah. fingers a bit. Very cool, very cool. Um, all right, what do we got? Let's see. Um, Rick asks, what is the history behind the song Ungrateful One on the Nobody Knows You album? Um, I wrote that straight out of, so I live in Asheville, North Carolina, and our patron author here is Thomas Wolfe. So I wrote mm-hmm. that straight out of Look Homeward Angel, basically. That's uh, um, the narrator's father, old man, Gant. Um, so, yeah, nothing to do with my personal biography there. <laughs> <laughs> got to ask. Got to ask. That's yeah. a good question, though. Um, yeah. And uh, let's have a look. John, who's uh, watching out in Arizona, has asked, has Nikki ever run into you on stage? And also, did you write the song Shenandoah Valley? One of my favorite Steve Canyon Rangers songs. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, I wrote Shenandoah Valley. I wrote that. We were driving up to a festival. I think it was like the Strawberry Festival somewhere in Virginia, and I was driving the van, and everybody else was sleeping. And uh, I wrote her on the way up there and, you know, told the guys, like, or told the guys, and proposed that we do it that night, you know, because it was about where we were. And we did it, and they were good sports. And then we came time to record, and I never figured it would be a song we recorded, but... Uh, Somebody threw out the idea, you know, toward the end of the session, we need something a little different. And uh, yeah, it turned out being a song that people people really like. It's very yeah. uh, kind of different for us. But yeah, so I wrote that. Um, and let's see, Nikki has definitely run into me on stage more than <laughs> once. Um, you know, it's nice these days. We have a little more space. We used to do the, the one mic thing. Um, so there were lots of collisions Um within the one mic days for sure. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one thing I've also tried to do for a lot of reasons is, is keep my head up more on stage um, in general when I play, uh, mostly just for, you know, uh, theatrical purposes or whatever. But, um, you know, but also to kind of be aware. So um, and I usually know when he's coming, you know, I know when he's getting worked up and, and when he's going to start uh, fiddle gyrating on stage <laughs> as if you don't have enough to worry about you know live performance you've got you to look out for hazards yeah, and stuff yeah. <laughs> um, alright Timber Talisman on the YouTube chat asks um, what do you think helped you out the most when you were starting out I have been a frailing banjo player for years and have struggled to pick up three finger picking is it just practicing patterns or is there anything that you can share for him and I'm sure a few other people who are watching as well yeah, I mean, for me, I would say it's practicing patterns. Um, and I know that can get kind of monotonous, but I think there's a, you know, for me, like I said, like with the whole piano thing, I, I find a lot of beauty in those in those patterns. And really the combinations are are endless, um, you know, once you, once you start getting into them. Um, all the ways you can make three fingers combine over, you know, eight eighth notes in a measure. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, for me, it's, it's, it's really, really about the patterns and, uh, just getting that, that right hand solid. And I mean, that took me, I feel like it took me the better part of two or three years to feel like my right hand was really, um, really solid, you know, and that was, that was practicing a lot when I should have been studying. <laughs> Which one paid off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's all a balance. It's okay. It's it. Um, and uh, Robin asks, do you play in keys other than C, G, D, or A? 
Yeah, I mean, our, you know, it, it, it's it, for a lot of bands, it's dictated, and ours is no different, dictated by the vocalists. So we end up playing in uh, in F quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't do as much in B as a lot of a lot of bluegrass bands, um, but we do a lot of F. So I mean, you know, that's. And I like playing when I can. I like playing F open. Um, So yeah, play play a bit in F, you know, and then a couple different tunings. Um, you know, I, I, I mostly stick between a G tuning uh, for my solo show. I've been doing a lot of Reuben tuning. Um, that's a good one for solo banjo. And then uh, we have a tune that the Rangers do where I. It's a, it's a, I have a harmonic solo on. And it falls great on the harmonics like that. Great, just a great tune. Uh, it's, it's a fun tuning. Yeah, G minus sounds um, great on banjo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, all right, I think we've got one or two more. Um, are you good for time? I yeah. am. Sure enough. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. Totally. This is fun. Um, now, um, he asks, "How would a seventy-three-year-old guy that just picked up a four-string that has no musical experience learn to play?" Now, you're playing a five-string, so it's a little different. Right. Um, so, I would, David, you might want to chime in on this one as well, but. Uh, uh, Know, what would you be your approach to a four string apart from tune it like a five string and <laughs> get it there? David, uh, David? say the question once more. Is he so he's playing a tenor banjo? Uh, he says he picked up a four string and he has no musical experience. Okay, well, there's two types of four strings there's a plectrum and a tenor, and they're mm-hmm. tuned uh differently. Um, so I think. We want to figure out what we have first there, and uh, fair enough. And I would learn some chords if a four string. I'd, you're playing with a flat pick, and I'd learn some basic chords, and then uh, and, and and just start strumming through those chords. Yeah, find the music you love, you know. And uh, yeah, absolutely. You know. And if you're looking for an explanation on on the different kinds of banjos, the four string and five string, like give give us a call here at Deering, and we'll be happy to spend some time kind of going through those different things. Uh, with yeah. you, no problem at all. That's um, hopefully trying to educate as many people as we can. So yeah, yeah, but really, I mean, finding the uh, the music that's maybe the most um, yeah. of the idiom, you know, with the instrument, whether it's a uh, whether it's Dixieland or, or Irish or um, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you ever mess with different banjo styles? Do you, do you mess with Clawhammer or, or any other styles at all? Very little, very yeah. little. Yeah. Um, no, I'm really mainly a three finger. That seems to that seems that's to be enough thing. for me. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. Uh, right, I think that's the the questions from us, uh, Dave. Do you have any any final thoughts for the day? Just thanks for doing this, Graham. As uh, 
it was fun and uh, good talking with you and good listening to you play. Yeah. Great guys, I really appreciate it. Yeah, keep yeah, up that was the, a lot of fun. Keep up the great work. Thanks for the banjo. <laughs> of course, absolutely. I'm glad you're glad you're enjoying it, and um, yeah. really hope to see you out on the road again and at festivals, and hopefully we can resume some kind of normalcy. Um, as soon as till then we have a, till then we have a new record out. So yeah, tell everybody real quick where can they? Is it on Spotify? Can they buy it from the website? Give a give a, a, a sell through. Right. So yeah, it's on it's on Spotify um, or you know Apple Music, um, Amazon Music, any of those streaming services. Uh, SteepCanyon.com. You can order mm-hmm. it there uh, through our website. I think we have CDs and vinyl. Um, no cassettes unfortunately we should um, though right we should bring right? back we really should bring back the cassette um, mm. but uh, yeah or just call up your call up your local DJ and harass them until they play it that'd be <laughs> yeah. old school style yeah. I like it I like yeah. it would you mind playing us out before sure we... sure alright so before we head out guys thank you for watching it's been a real pleasure as always um, next week Theory, we're going to be joined by Mr. John Kavanagh of Cavanjo Pickups, and we're going to get into deep into the world of amplifying banjos. So it's going to be a kind of a technical, technical time. But in the meantime, Graham, thank you so, so much for your time, my friend. Can't thank you all enough. It's been a real pleasure getting here and hang out a little bit. Yeah. That last times. tune made me think of a that Drive album by Bela Fleck, one of my favorite yeah. records in the world. So right. try yeah. to render, render one of his here. Yeah. <laughs> We appreciate you, Graham. We appreciate you, Baylor. Have a wonderful evening, guys. All right. All right. Thank you. See you. All right.